Hello, and welcome to the Life Teacher Podcast. My name is Hector Suko, and on today's episode, we have Brenda Lise Zanetti and Elizabeth Fergel. Brenda Lise Zanetti is a clinical social worker and currently seeking a Doctor of Philosophy in Human Services at Albisu University. She has vast experience as an information and referral specialist, crisis counselor, professional development trainer, and social worker. Her doctoral dissertation focus is on the correlation between teachers' adverse experiences and their attitudes related to trauma-informed care. Elizabeth has been working for Miami-Dade County Public Schools since 2010 as a special education and Head Start teacher. She is currently a doctoral candidate with the University of West Florida in curriculum and instruction. Her doctoral dissertation focus is on teachers in the early childhood classroom and their experiences with the manifestations of trauma in their students. The title of this episode is Acknowledging Adverse Childhood Experiences with Brenda Lise Zanetti and Elizabeth Ergel. Let's first welcome Brenda Lise to the podcast. Brenda Lise, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. And Elizabeth, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Brenda Lise, let's start with you. I know that I introduced you, but I would love for you to introduce yourself to the audience in your own words. My name is Brenda Lisanetti. I am a clinical social worker. Um, I previously worked at Miami-Dade County Public Schools for 10 years. Uh, so I'm a previous school social worker. Uh, that's where I met Elizabeth. <laughs> and I'm currently uh, working at a local university here in Miami, Florida, as an academic counselor and retention specialist. Like you said, my focus on in my research is really geared towards um, educators' adverse experiences and how that can possibly impact their ability to provide trauma-informed care within the classroom setting. So that's, that's my main focus, uh, educational and, and professionally. And I'm excited to be here. So thank you so much. Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Elizabeth Urgell. Um, I started working for Dade County Public Schools in 2010 as a special ed resource teacher for um, elementary. I got into pre-K SPED by accident um, out of a necessity. And then I transferred over to Head Start where there was a greater need for um, educators who were knowledgeable in special ed. That's where Brenda Lisa and I met. I have seen a lot of things and heard a lot from teachers that had prompted me to want to look at childhood adversities from the teacher's perspective. And I also wanted to look at teachers who had their own histories of adversities and see how that's affecting them. So my dissertation is just providing a voice for them to share how they manage behaviors in the classroom that may be trauma-based. Um, and I, I'm kind of just trying to see if there's a difference between how they deal with it because of their own adversities but the only way we can find out is through exploratory, hearing their voices. So I'm really excited to see what they come up with. Elizabeth, we'll stay with you for just one second. Now, I know that Brenda Lee just said that you guys met at Miami-Dade College. Miami-Dade um, Public Schools. Miami-Dade Miami -Dade County Public Schools. Working mm -hmm. for Miami-Dade County Public Schools. And so you guys meet, you guys connect. How did you end up collaborating and partnering up? Um, so she was a social worker for our Head Start program, um, and we got along really well. We deal with providing services for families. When you work for Head Start, it's not just the students that you're servicing, but the families as well. So that would be Brenda Lise's forte is working with the families. 
she noticed, I believe there was a training or something she did with adversity, childhood adversities. And she was like, hey, this is really interesting. And we both started looking into it. And pretty soon by, I think it was 2019, she was proposing for us to do um, seminars for Head Start for Dade County Public Schools, teaching teachers on adversities. And it kind of expanded and blew up from there. Brenda Lees, let me ping pong back to you. What current projects are you both working on right now? We are currently waiting on word from proposals. So we've submitted some proposals to present at the Attachment and Trauma Network uh, National Convention or National Conference that will be next year. Again, speaking on adverse experiences and the teacher experience. And, And that's a really big emphasis, you know, just to piggyback on what Elizabeth said prior on how we connected. One of the things that I noticed is a lot of this trauma informed care and adverse experience training was so much theory and so much mental health and a lot of jargon that really I, I felt wasn't relatable with educators, <laughs> you know, and I can I can train other uh, mental health professionals till I'm blue in the face, but I've never been an educator, you know, not in the traditional sense. Uh, I'm not a teacher. I'm, I've never been in the classroom with, you know, 20 plus young children running around, you know, screaming my name at the same time. So when I had this idea that, man, I really want to train teachers and I really want to provide them like a really holistic approach on adverse experiences, I said, Elizabeth, is this something that you're interested in? Because I think that I can provide a theory and I can provide that mental health aspect. But there's there's always a piece that's missing when I attend these trainings, and that's bringing it down to the classroom level, Uh, you, you know, really relating the mandates within the school system, the mandates within grants, the uniqueness of working with needy families um, at poverty level, which is, you know, uh, what Head Start is all about. I was like, are you interested in doing this? Let's let's see if we can pitch it to the district, see if they would allow us. We were thinking, I don't know, maybe an hour, an hour and a half. Well, they came back and said, yeah, you got a full day. (laughs) So what we thought was going to be about an hour ended up being a six hour plus full day training, which really was the catalyst of other conferences. We've done um, research symposiums uh, two months ago where we presented both of our, our doctoral projects. Not only are we working on what well, we're waiting on hearing back from some conference proposals, but we are also in the really, really preliminary developmental stages of creating a lesson planner journal-ish for educators that will incorporate activities to build resilience within their classroom. That's kind of our project at the moment, unless I think of something else within, you know, by the end of this podcast. (laughs) But usually, you know, we're looking uh, just to expand and bring awareness at every chance we get, whether it's training within the school district or at national conferences or our respective universities. We've been really getting at, you know, tackling all the different areas that we can have the most uh, significant impact. And I'll stay with you, Brenda Lise, for just one second, and we'll go into our first topic. Why is reflecting on childhood experiences important to one's mental health? That, that, that is a loaded question. But the short answer is our experiences mold and shape our responses to other individuals, how we relate 
to our partners, how we relate to coworkers, how we um, react to their tone, their language, their posture. Um, so it is vital to understanding who we are as individuals to really take a look back at our experiences. You know, you add an adversity into it, and that is a game changer because depending on the bulk of the adverse experiences for that child, let's say, you know, for us, for Elizabeth and I, our, our main area of research is uh, zero to five. That's when we're talking about brain development. We're talking about attachment or non-attachment to our caregivers, which would have a significant impact on development and how they respond to educators in the classroom. Um, so really kind of tying that in from inception, you know, from zero all the way until their school age, it's, it's a it's vital. You know, it's extremely important to really take a look and dissect those experiences, particularly adverse experiences, because that's going to have an impact on how they learn, how they relate, um, how they understand social cues, um, you name it. It affects every aspect of a human being. When you try, when you then gravitate until adults, now, you know, we're talking about educators, right? who may have experienced exactly what I just described and yet never either realized it or um, acknowledge it or want to accept it. And so how can they properly identify the adversities in, in their students, right? Or, or possible behavior symptoms that result in their adversities if they can't first acknowledge them themselves. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating, obviously we can talk about this you know, all day long. Uh, you were going to say that, right, Elizabeth? Uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, and, and so that's, that's the importance of it. It really just factors into who we are as humans. Our experiences are who we are, are what shapes how we respond and we react. Thank you for your answer, Brenda Lise. Elizabeth. Let me let's stay on the same topic because there's a phrase that everybody probably knows about. You cannot know where you're going until you know where you've been. Do you agree with that phrase? Yeah, and that's the thing that we're finding the most. It actually it goes so much deeper than that. She's just touching on the tip of the iceberg because the studies that have been done on it have shown that things that you are affected by as an adult, heart disease, suicide ideations, um, obesity, drug abuse, mental health issues can all be traced back to adversities that you had as a child. So these experiences that you have really do mold you. And then the amount of resilience you learn is what gets you over that. So just because you scored high in adversity doesn't mean you have to have all these factors when you grow up. But there's so many things that we need to teach our students the problem that we're seeing is that when we as adults do not acknowledge where we've been, a lot of us, I'm noticing a lot of us blame it on cultural norms. And so we kind of want, like wish it away, like, oh, that's just how we do it in this culture. So that's not really trauma. That's not really adversities. That's just life, you know? So that's where we start finding encountering problems now. What, like I'm looking for teachers with a certain number of adversities and I keep getting back scores of zero, which I'm like, hmm, did you really not experience anything or are you afraid to talk about it? 
So that's what we're finding now is that it's, it's, it's a little hard to look back and reflect on your life and think that maybe, maybe I was exposed to some things that weren't so great. It doesn't mean anything. I had a great childhood and I still scored a few. It just happens to be that we need to finally acknowledge where we were if we want to move forward with where we're going. Elizabeth, let me stay with you for just one second. You know, and here's another phrase because our lives are just circled by these phrases and they're true to some extent. It takes a community to raise a child. But what I'm hearing from both of you is if the people in that quote unquote community cannot acknowledge their adversities, then they're not going to be able to raise this child to the best that they could. And is this what I'm getting from you? That's a loaded question. And I think friend Elise would agree with me because I don't think you have to, yeah, see, so I don't think you really have to, like, I don't feel like you have to go and say, oh, you know, you used to belittle me when I was younger. So shame on you. But at the same time, there are certain things you need to acknowledge that were done to you that maybe as an adult, you won't do to your children, but you have to acknowledge that it was done in the first place, right? Um, So what we're seeing is that a lot of the adversities that a child can experience are community-based. So if you grow up in a high poverty neighborhood, if you have um, community violence, if you witness violence on your mother, that doesn't affect, that's not on you. But if you witness violence on your mother in the household, domestic violence, that is an adversity. If you witness a family member using drugs or alcohol excessively, you know, that's also an adversity. So, yeah, there are certain things that the community can do. And we've seen some communities where they really start rallying around their children and they want to do what's best. And I think that's great about the Head Start program because the Head Start program really encourages the community to step in as well as the families. Brenda Lisa, am I on the right track with that? Uh, it was a loaded question. <laughs> um, because... I could definitely, we can definitely break it down a little bit more. Would you no. like me to do that? And I only say, and I only say it's a loaded question because you, you said something along the lines of that they're not doing the best that they can, or that maybe they're not doing the best they can, which I think that they are. I think we all strive to do the best that we can with the information that we have currently. So as we continue to have these conversations and we continue to educate our communities, then they're going to be armed with better ammunition to raise more successful children. So I, that's why, that's why I was like, uh, you know, yes and no. (laughs) I think absolutely these communities want the best for their children. Um, any community wants the best for their children and are doing the best that they can with what they have. Um, just like, you know, I strive for with, you know, my own children. Um, however, the more I learn, the more I read, the more things develop, the more, you know what I mean? The more information and, and ideas come out, then I kind of change and I mold and I adapt um, and I respond uh, to my children. So that's that's what we hope will, will happen um, in all communities is as we continue these conversations and we kind of dissect, right? And we pull back the layers of the onions. We kind of see at the root and at the core that maybe our cultural practices aren't the absolute best for 
building positive, you know, members of society and strong members of society. As a, as a Hispanic, we talk about La Chancleta and you know what I mean? And, and that's a source of comedy, right? If you will. But is it really comedy? You know, that, that, that really isn't funny necessarily because we're talking about abuse. We're talking about adversity, you know, although we don't think about it that way. When we, we kind of pull it back and we kind of, you know, think about it a little bit more, you know, to the extent that some of us were raised and we look at what adversity can be and what abuse can be, you know, and all the, all those buzzwords, then we think, gosh, you know, maybe, you know, that, that isn't, there's a better way, you know, maybe we can have alternative ways to discipline and raise our children. That, that I think that's why Elizabeth and I were like, hmm, that, that question is a little tricky, but I hope I kind of answered your question. I, I didn't necessarily want it to bring uh, spanking into the conversation, but a step down from that would be timeout. So I definitely want to contextualize what you two are saying into something that I can contextualize and hopefully the audience can too. So again, going back to this community, you have a teacher who growing up, they were placed on timeout. Uh, you have the parents growing up, they were placed on timeout the principal, or let's say they go to summer camp and their counselor puts them on timeout because the counselor, when they were young, were placed on timeout. But we know because of positive parenting tips that are out there, that timeout is not the best way to acknowledge and to correct a situation with a child. You want to make them understand what they did wrong and best ways to go about either fixing or quote unquote, behaving better. Now, if the community starts to learn about these positive techniques and the teacher learns and the counselor learns and the parents learn and they acknowledge themselves, right? That's what you guys are keep saying that you need to acknowledge that I was placed on timeout and it may not have been the best at the time because there's new information. And then once the community gets involved, they acknowledge and then they put into practice these techniques, like what you said, Brendalise, we would be much better off raising these children. Am I on the ball here? I'm using timeout as, as an example. Yes, but I just want to be clear that timeout isn't necessarily an adverse experience, but using that as an example, absolutely. The, you know, acknowledgement, learning, um, putting in practice, um, those are all, right, the steps that, that we would hope um, would occur the more information and the more discussions we have, such as this podcast. Elizabeth, can, can you go on a list of adverse experiences that people may have experienced as a child? Now, let's warn the audience that some of these may be triggering. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, it, it pretty much the, the list that we use the questionnaire, it only has 10, but there's 54 different adversities. The main 10 are pretty rough. And I think that's what scares off a lot of people when they first see it. The first one, number one, before your 18th birthday, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you? Or did they act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? That seems so, like it could be five different questions. 
Right. So. Because it all surrounds the same thing. So it's, it's basically a feeling of humiliation, but then it kind of, so it's one of those things where you think about how often did your parent call you, you know, names or made you feel like you couldn't do something. The next question before your 18th birthday, which is, this is the most important thing is it has to be during childhood. Did a parent or adult in the household often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you? or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured. And this goes back to the chancleta. So this is what I was trying to say, that maybe someone does a quick chancleta so once and it, that's, that's done, right? But we're talking about those people who take it and they'll like throw a shoe at you from across the room, trying to hit you with something, or they throw things at you. Because you do have those parents that will take whatever's around them and just kind of knock you in the head. And you're like, whoa. And then another one, before your 18th birthday, did an adult or person at least five years or older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touched their body in a sexual way or attempt or actually have intercourse with you? So we're going into the serious, the first ones are the serious abuses, right? And right, right away when you start and you see those, you're like, that's not me. But there are 54 different adversities that don't, there's 44 other ones that don't show up on here that are more relational to the common, like to your common people. Um, the next one is before your 18th birthday, did you often feel no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other or support each other? So this so goes was, along. So that's number four. Mm -hmm. Number five. Before your 18th birthday, did you often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, and had no one to protect you? Or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it? Number six, before your 18th birthday, was a biological parent ever lost to you through divorce, abandonment, or other reason? Number seven, before your 18th birthday, was your mother or stepmother often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her? Or sometimes often or very often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes or threatened with a gun or knife? Mind you, this is not the child. This is them witnessing their mother or their stepmother being abused. Before your 18th birthday, number eight, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? Nine, before your 18th birthday, was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? Before your 18th birthday, number 10, did a household member go to prison? So those are your 10. And if you see, the first ones are pretty heavy. But the last few are actually related to household situations, not necessarily anything that a, that the child is experiencing. You said for number nine, attempt suicide. Do yes. you is there act, an actual one in which the parent commits suicide? No, Brenda Lee said I know of. There's none that say that specifically. So I think just the attempt of suicide. Okay. Yeah, no, it, to my knowledge, I haven't read where it's explicitly asked um, the suicide completion. Um, okay. I think that for the purpose of the survey, 
an attempt, whether it was completed or not, is is a significant adversity. Well, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Did you ladies write these questions yourself? No. So these came from a study in 1998. It's um, one of the main guys was Felitti. And so what they were looking for was they had a group of um, their doctors. So they had a group of people who were doing weight loss and they were following a program. And they noticed that for some reason, even though they were following it perfectly, they weren't losing weight. They were still struggling. They were having problems. So they started talking to them. And then all these things, all these repressed issues that they had been experiencing when they were children started coming up. So they started doing studies with Kaiser, right? It was with Kaiser. So they started doing studies with Kaiser to find out how these adversities affect you as an adult. And basically that's how it kind of just exploded. They started realizing that um, the things you experience as a child has a lot of even physical manifestations on you as you age. The sexual abuse option is interesting because it's not easy, right? On a scale from one to 10, it would probably be a 10 as far as admitting that this occurred to you. I mean, outside of actual therapy, I don't know how many people who experienced that would be open to answering that on a survey. And so when you say, when you guys say, you know, we feel like some people are not being honest, I can definitely see many people maybe not answering truthfully. However, that doesn't negate the fact that they should acknowledge inwardly. And to your point, if a teacher acknowledges, and anyone for that matter, acknowledges the adverse childhood experiences, they can definitely lead better lives and especially for teachers now, tend to their students' needs much better. Is that the overall sense that I'm getting, Brenda Lise? Absolutely. I think that, you know, sexual abuse, sexual trauma is such a personal and convoluted journey. When this survey is presented to participants, there is a little bit of of pre-conversation that goes on. So there is some dialogue and some explanation on the purpose and why it's important to to be honest. The the, the survey, as uh, at least for um, Elizabeth's uh, research, isn't necessarily included. And correct me if I'm wrong, Elizabeth. Um, how how I think one of the hesitations for a lot of participants is how is this information going to be captured, and how are you going to write about it, right? <laughs> so and I can I can absolutely understand that. There is a lot of dialogue that occurs before. So there is a thorough explanation on the purpose um, and the intended outcome. Um, But that particular one is so difficult. I I also train uh, significantly on child abuse reporting procedures and uh, definitions for the over 10 years. And hands down, every single time that I do that training, I get uh, attendees at the end of my training that come up to me and either disclose, hadn't thought about things, hadn't realized, you know, all, all these emotions that come up based on a conversation because 
this is this is difficult stuff. Even even you know us putting it into to words <laughs> that that are sensitive, right? Because I do want to be extremely sensitive to anybody who's listening and who has experienced any kind of adversity, whether physical or environmental. And that's what uh, Elizabeth was talking about, that it didn't happen to the, the quote unquote, the, the participant, but it, in, it happened in their environment, in their view, in their presence. And therefore it's going to have a significant impact. And that, that sexual abuse is so such a such a conundrum because even within cultures and families, um, you know it's it's things that aren't talked about. You know we're, we don't we don't speak about you know sex ed. Period. You know we don't we don't even you know sometimes give them the appropriate appropriate you know name for their genitalia. You know we have these silly names um, because of the uneasiness of this conversation. So imagine if you're growing up in, in, in that kind of environment where, where even speaking on it is, is frowned upon, um, acknowledging it, forget about it. That's like way beyond the bounds, you know, uh, of even acknowledging that that might have occurred. Um, so it, it is a definitely a sensitive question, sensitive subject, and extremely difficult to to, and I don't want to say get somebody to admit it because that's not our focus, you know, at all. It's more of an acknowledgement that that certain experiences can have impact on your current life. And that and that's what all I think adversities are. Elizabeth, you, you wanted to add anything? Well, I wanted to add, and that's just that's just a very small portion of the adversities. The ones that people really connect with are the ones that for the families we service. So living in poverty, that's an adversity. Not being able to eat, um, witnessing your parents experiencing, you know, unable to work, that stress in the household because of, of poverty, that's a big one. Living in a neighborhood where you hear gunfire because people are shooting at each other outside, it's not inside your house, it doesn't affect you, but you hear it. You're afraid for your life inside your own home where you should feel safe. Um, having family members that have been gone, gone to jail. So there's a lot of things that people can connect with that affect more people. I think it's like one in five, one in five children live in poverty or it's, it's a number that's ridiculous. So there are things that we see, especially with Head Start. Head Start, we service children living in poverty. So that's our main, that's our main, um, I would like to say that's the main thing that I focus on in my study because I'm looking at teachers who service students who live in poverty. So let's say there's a teacher that says, you know what? This makes a lot of sense. I may not attribute any of the sentences I heard yet, but I'm willing to start. I'm willing to start this journey into self-reflection into my childhood to see if there were any adverse experiences. How would one start? And this question is for either of you. If I'm interested as an educator, uh, or anybody for that matter, um, into maybe diving a little bit deeper into my experiences um, as a child and how that affects me now, where where do I start? Right? Is, is that the the am I accurate in in that? Okay, great. So <laughs> um, there's multiple ways. There there's no cookie cutter, you know, okay, now you do this and now you do that, you know, because everybody's journey is unique. So I think a lot of that has to do with what work has already been done. 
you know, and then when I say work is what kind of introspection you've done, what kind of inventory you've made within your life, where you are personally, professionally. So a lot of that depends on so many different factors of, okay, where do you begin? What I can say is there is a plethora of information out there. I know Elizabeth um, has some on hand that she'll discuss in a little bit. And, and when I say information, there's websites, there's books, there's information that's that really have so many different uh, aspects of explaining adversity and how you may begin to address, you know, your experiences and, and how that makes you feel because, and I, and I, and I'm, there's a little bit of hesitation in my, in my tone is because once you start diving into your, your childhood and your past and your, your parents parenting, that is some difficult work, (laughs) you know, that can be very challenging because, I, I mean, there's a little bit of guilt when you acknowledge that you're, you may have had some adversity in your life, you know, a guilt in a sense of, it doesn't mean that your parents were quote unquote bad people, or they meant to do you harm or any of those things. And so that's why I say sometimes um, we, we tend to hesitate, you know, acknowledging and looking back because, oh my God, but I love my parents so much. Of course, you can love them. You can love them and they can be amazing individuals and did the absolute best they could with what they had at the time. Um, But that doesn't negate that you had had those experiences. So it can be such a challenging time. There are several books. There are lots of websites. Elizabeth will have some shortly for you where you can just start learning. I mean, if this is your first introduction of, you've never even heard of what an adverse experience is. You've never heard of the ACEs. Um, you've never heard of trauma-informed care because this is the, the ACEs kind of was, is the catalyst for trauma-informed care, which is like the new buzz, right? Everybody wants to be trauma-informed care. And honestly, that's what we strive uh, to teach is for you to be trauma-informed. Um, so you can make just, the uh, an, uh, more positive environment and better cho- choices in how you respond to children and to other adults. Um, so I would say the first thing is to have some understanding of what an adverse experience is, right? Really, really be honest with yourself. I want to say that that is probably the key to starting any journey is being completely honest with yourself in what you have experienced or possibly experienced, right? Because that this journey can be quite, quite difficult if you don't, if you're not prepared, if you're not ready for it. And what I say is, is, is ready for that. This is going to be hard, you know, and this can be, can be challenging. I would say learn and educate yourself on what adverse experiences can look like. Um, the different environments and where they can exist. This is uh, adversity is in, doesn't occur in isolation to particular communities. It is, doesn't, doesn't know race, color, creed, (laughs) or gender. Um, So this is, this is not something specific to any one community. It can be for anyone. So that would be my, my first step. And having at least some some go to support, whether it's a friend, family member, colleague, or and go to support could be what you do for yourself, journaling, going to the beach, you know, taking a break, taking a vacation, you know, whatever. That can be a go to support. It doesn't have to be a, a physical body of somebody 
that can support you. It, it can be, you know, the things that you do for yourself to kind of keep you um, in line, on track, balanced, um, focused. Um, so that that would be what I would suggest um, to begin that journey. Let's start with some books. What would be the first book you would recommend for someone that wants to delve into adversity? So I have educator-based books that I would recommend um, offhand would be Fostering Resilient Learners. That is by Christian Sowers uh, with Pete Hall. Um, That is actually one of the books that I'm using for my research and also Trauma-Sensitive Schools, Learning Communities, Transforming Children's Life K through five. Although they are education-based and in the classroom-based, Both of those books have a significant amount of intro on what adverse experiences are, um, the history, um, like Elizabeth was describing on the initial survey that was a catalyst for all this work and all this information that's out there. Um, And it really puts it in a nice, clean, concise relatable my my that's my thing is that it's relatable and that I can understand it you know so those two books are are offhand what what I would recommend to to begin that journey and to begin learning about what trauma sensitive trauma informed classrooms are that also give you information on on yourself you know and how to how to begin that journey and I just went on to Amazon and searched for adverse childhood or childhood adversity. And there are a few books there also. So if you want to know, learn more information and you're not in the education world, definitely search this up, right? The keywords are childhood adversity. And I'm pretty sure you can find the information that you need if you really want to start that journey. Now, Let's say that an educator or someone is going through their childhood and starts to realize that, yeah, I did actually go through some things. Is it important to go to your parents and have that conversation? How, how important do you think that aspect is? And again, this is for either of you. Well, I'm going to jump in there because I want to relate it back to teachers and why it's important to even know this, because um, you have students that are coming to your classroom that are hungry, tired, maybe worked a second job because their parents are unemployed. Maybe they are crying all day long and you can't figure out. Your history of adversity may determine how you respond to those children. So we've worked in Head Start and we've, we've, we've heard stories and situations from teachers where they yell or they lash out at the students or they react from a place of anger towards students and then they realize they did, but why? So then this is about a self-reflection on how you can be a better educator, how you can manage the classroom better, how you can avoid re-traumatizing students and how you can avoid secondary traumatic stress, which is a huge thing for teachers because we know that we acquire stress from our students. So there's this thing with secondary traumatic stress where you might not have any adversities, zero, but you helping your students constantly through theirs and always being there and available, you kind of burn yourself out and you start acquiring that stress yourself. So in my focus, I'm focusing on teachers who have a history of adversity because I want to know, are they at greater risk for secondary traumatic stress? How are they handling their students when they misbehave? 
does it change when it's someone who has been through through their own adversities versus someone who hasn't and haven't gotten to that yet? So I'm just talking to teachers who are who have a history. So when I give them the questionnaire, my questionnaire is not for me to know what I don't want to know what trauma you've had. I don't even want to know which ones you checkmark. I just want to know you hit my number because they have said that four is a severe. That's a severe amount of adversities to have lived through. So if you had four or more, I want to talk to you. So anybody's listening in your head start. It's important for teachers to acknowledge this. It's important for them to know this. But I don't think you have to go and confront your parents. I know, I think Brenda Lisa and I talked about this. I don't think this is something, this is not like a therapy thing where you have to go and say, hey, I lived through X, Y, and Z. It's, there's no blame. This is not a blame game. This is acknowledging where you're coming from and where you want to go with it. Yeah, I, and I also don't condone going to your parents and harassing them or, 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 you know, blaming them for your childhood. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if there is a teacher who is reflecting on their childhood and, you know, the question is, could they bring it up with their parents in order to start the acceptance process, the forgiving process? This is important for, well, for me, it is important if somebody does this in order to start acknowledging what they've been through. They accept it, and then they start the process of being there for their students. Brenda Lise. Elizabeth and I uh, spoke about this yesterday. We were, you know, and I, I agree with Elizabeth. I don't feel that it is necessary to ever confront your parents. I don't think that that is a basis for you to move forward or to accept or to acknowledge. I, I think that it is a personal journey because you can be thoroughly disappointed with their response and that may stunt your progress, you know? And what I mean by that is you may think that that parent is going to acknowledge and be, oh my God, I'm so sorry, so on and so forth. And that might not necessarily be the response you're going to get, you know, from your, from your parent. And that can be quite devastating if you're thinking that you're going to get some acknowledgement or I don't know, you know, you just, you just never know. (laughs) So I I think it it really, it really depends on your current relationship with your, your parents. I think that if you have a, a, a somewhat open and you're able to have conversations about your childhood and you sense that there be willing and open into receiving how you feel about what you've experienced, then absolutely, it could be completely cathartic. It can be, you know, a a help in, in mending maybe some even resentment that you've held because of what you've experienced and never spoke about it. However, if that relationship isn't necessarily the best or you have parents with a particular strong personality or they themselves are not in a place to receive, then that can be really detrimental for, for that person. And so that's, that's why I, I said, eh, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, and I, and I can give myself an example, you know, I have a very open relationship with, you know, both of my parents, my father, may he rest in peace, 
but with my mom. And I am able to say, you know, <laughs> when we were growing up and this happened, you know, that wasn't necessarily the best, you know, and, and have that, that ability to have that conversation. And I know it's going to be received from a, a positive place, not from a pointing fingers place or a negative space or anything like that. However, it really depends on what your current relationship is, you know, and I, and I want to emphasize, you know, working on, on adverse experiences and, and your childhood, it's, it's very different from, let's say, like a 12 step, you know, first you do this, then you do this, then you do this doesn't necessarily work that way, you know, um, it can if it works for the individual. Um, but this, this journey is so, so unique. And so like you heard from the, you know, the adverse experience questionnaire themselves, it is, you know, very intense subjects and very heavy, you know, you can hear it in, in the side that I just did. It's a heavy, heavy subject that we're, that we're speaking on. So that, that healing and that mending can take so many forms that quote unquote confronting a parent I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a vital step into your own journey. Now, could you have conversations and maybe explain to them how you felt possibly because then maybe that parent can give you insight on their own childhood experiences that brought them to, you know, how they parent and how they responded to you. And that could be incredibly healing. Now that conversation could be pretty amazing. Um, so it really depends on how you approach it, what kind of current relationship you have with your parents, and what are you hoping, what are your expectations from that conversation? I 100% agree. Your current relationship with your parent should dictate whether you have that particular conversation or not. If you're relationship with your parents is muddy, I would not bring it up. You are absolutely correct. But if your conversations are open, honest, and loving, and this new thing comes about, I think that conversation can go a very long way. Excellent. And on this journey that we're going on with this, with a teacher that is open to this journey, how important is it for someone to say, I forgive you, whether it's to their parent, the sibling for bullying them. How important is it for someone to acknowledge their adversities to say, I forgive you? I want to go with that because I think in any situation, forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. So it's for your ability to move forward. So this is not where I'm going to forgive you and you're going to change and do everything. No, I forgive you regardless of your outcome because I need it. So this is basically forgiveness for, you know, it's, it's for you to let go of it is basically how I see it. Thank you. I definitely wanted one of you to say that. And let's say the steps that we outlined isn't enough. When should a teacher or anyone seek therapy to better understand their adverse childhood experiences? Well, and I think this is the main reason why I started with my portion of this is because when we were doing trainings for teachers, a lot of teachers 
instead of talking about the childhood adversities of their students, started bringing up their history, their past, things that sometimes were very personal to them. I know Brenda Lisa and I heard stories that were like, wow. My thing is, are we providing enough mental health support to educators? I know that with secondary traumatic stress, we're already stressed out. I know with COVID, we're super stressed out. But even before that, um, especially in classes with behaviors that are very extreme, like you have your self-contained SPED classes, you have some of these Head Start classes that the, you know, sometimes it's also management, classroom management. It goes back to, are we providing enough mental health for teachers? Are we allowing them to express themselves in a way that we can see that they need mental health? If it bothers you to the point where you feel you need a therapist or mental health work, you should go and do it. There are some people that have a high number of ACEs, but they were taught resilience throughout their lifetime, maybe from a teacher they really loved or an aunt or an uncle, maybe even the parent who was being abused was the one giving you that resilience, teaching you how to, to continue no matter what. And resilience plays a huge, I think Brenda Lee spoke about it with one of the books. It's one of the key factors that we can arm our students with and we can arm our children with that helps them overcome these adversities. You can't always remove the adversities. You can arm them with what they need. So if teachers need uh, mental health assistance, there are programs that are available and I think they should fully take it if they feel that they need it. You know, some people are fine with it. They're like, yeah, I had problems growing up. I'm good. And that's fine. That's great. If that's how you react to things, you've got it. Go for it. But there's some people that maybe they experienced that one thing that really messed them up. If you feel you need it, you really should. You really shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. Thank you, Elizabeth. And before we close out, do any of you have any last thoughts? I'll go ahead. So just, just to piggyback before, before we close, I think when anybody should seek therapy is when it's uh, intrusive to your everyday life. Um, when your relationships are being infected, when your parenting is being affected, where your everyday is being affected to the point where you are unable to manage it effectively, that's when you seek it out. Whether you have ad- where you've where you, whether or not you have had identified adverse experiences is irrelevant. I think anybody who is experiencing things that are unmanageable for them at the moment should go out you know, and, and seek some type of professional assistance, whether it's counseling therapy, um, you know, I know in the school district, you know, you have employee assistance program that is available. Um, gosh, there's 1-800 numbers that are available free of charge. Um, 211, if you're local to Miami-Dade County, 311 could even direct you, even though that's Team Metro, but, you know, so there's so many things available. And so what I, what I would leave with anybody with is, you know, Taking, taking a step back and just taking inventory of your experiences can have a significant impact on your everyday life. Uh, as an educator, um, you, it, it's, it's almost vital for you to take that inventory so you can effectively respond to the needs of your children, um, to the children in the classroom. Like Elizabeth said, avoid re-traumatization. Sometimes we're doing things out of second nature. We're doing things or we're responding because we've always responded that way. And really, you know, innocently, quite honestly. Um, However, now with so much information available that really describes and provides um, the how-tos 
for trauma-informed services or trauma-informed environment, especially in classrooms, uh, gosh, I think we just owe it. We owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our the children that we service um, to be as informed and educated as possible. And if not, there's, you know, ask, you know, there's so much, there's so much support. I mean, not enough in my opinion, (laughs) but there is support. Um, there are people that you can go to there. The web is a beautiful place sometimes with, uh, free information, um, that is available. Uh, gosh, social media has, uh, you know, psychologists and mental health professionals that are giving information out for free, not therapy, but at least providing a a platform for you to learn and, and help guide that, that journey. So that, that's what, that would be my takeaway is that I think that we owe it to ourselves and those that we serve to at least begin uh, to take inventory on how our experiences mold and shape who we are now and how we respond. Elizabeth, any last thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to provide the websites that, um, you know, some great websites that you can look into is the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. And we can provide you with the links. And also the CDC has great information on um, adverse childhood experiences if you want to look at it from a medical point of view. Um, just the overall the overall thing that we want to urge is that, you know, usually when we talk about trauma-informed care in the classroom, a lot of people roll their eyes and they're like, oh, it's one more mental health thing we have to do. But really, it's, it's just providing a safe and inclusive environment where students are avoiding that traumatization and teachers are practicing the avoidance of secondary traumatic stress by taking care of themselves. So I think the main giveaway is that in order to properly educate our students, we have to take care of ourselves. And as educators, we kind of forget about that. We do everything for our students and for our schools and for our families, and we forget that we're human too. That's the main takeaway for me is that you, you st- it starts with you. Where can people go to find out more information about, about you, the two of you, your projects, et cetera? Honestly, you can email me directly um, with information or questions, um, and I can absolutely would love to provide anybody um, with further research or um, ideas where they can get more information. Um, You can email me at zanettiassociates at gmail.com. I want to thank you both so much for coming on to my podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you and I'm pretty sure the audience got a lot of information from this episode. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. This has been Acknowledging Adverse Childhood Experiences with Brenda Lise Zanetti and Elizabeth Burgell. Until next time, bye.